want to thank the worship team uh, for helping us and reminding us of the fact that God has been so good. He truly has been good, hasn't he? And we thank him for that. I was saying to our speaker, who's going to be coming in a moment, I asked him how many years have him and his wife been married, and he said 20. I said, wow, that's something to be thankful for. And uh, forgive the personal note, but I'm celebrating today my wedding anniversary of 38 years. And I just, I just want to publicly thank God for his goodness and his mercy for allowing my wife to put up with me for 38 years. Amen. Turn to your neighbor before you sit down and say, God has been good to me. Come on, everybody shake somebody's hand and tell them God has been good. He continues to bless us every day. Food, provision, we're in our right minds, at least most of us, right? And uh, it's all good. Have a seat. Brother Josh, can we have a little light, just a little bit more light? You may be seated. I'm so happy and delighted uh, for our speaker tonight, him and his wife, for taking time to come down here from the Rockland campus and bless us. And I'm going to ask Ivan Santiago, the president of our psychology club, he's going to come at this point and he's going to do the honors and introduce our speaker for the evening. How you doing, everybody? Uh, as Dean Hammond said, I'm Ivan Santiago, the uh, president of the Psych Society, and I have the honor and privilege to introduce today's speaker, uh, Eric and Christina Whalen, are international workers in Mongolia since 2008. Christina taught English as a second language, and Eric did business as mission. Uh, presently, they are the international workers in residence at Nyack College and our campus representatives in candidate recruitment and development for the CNMA. They have three kids, Jack 15, Becca 13, and Anna 11. They are both passionate about reaching people for Jesus, where he has placed them through their relationship and seeing the church engage in her community and contacts. Please give a warm night at college welcome to Eric Whalen. Is there any way you could come in a little bit? Would that be asking too much? I know, people in the back, you already hate me, I'm sorry. But I'm going to just be twisting back and forth. And just a little bit. There we go. A little more intimacy, right? That's right. If you really don't want to, I'm not going to fight you. Especially if you're bigger than me. That's totally fine, brother. So, uh, thank you, Ivan. Uh, that was a good introduction. Primarily because I wrote it, so I appreciate that. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I realized I, I wrote that myself. Uh, yeah, so this is my lovely wife, Christina. Uh, we've been married for 20 years. Yep, and uh, she's amazing. Uh, we did just move back from Mongolia a couple years ago, so we're still trying to figure out stuff in the States. But right now, the father has us uh, directly in Nyack, right at the college. We live right on the college campus. And so we do a couple different things. We're with Candidate Recruitment and Development. So the first thing I want to say is, is that if you are interested in the Christian Missionary Alliance at all, if you have any interest in seeing what types of ministries or projects or anything that you might want to be involved in, whether, whether that would be business as mission, something in counseling, pastoring, whatever it might be, 
come and talk to us. We'd love to just get to know you a little bit, get your school email and your name, and, and just sit down for 30 minutes an hour, and love just to hear your story and what God is doing and see how we can get you plugged in uh, and become an officially accredited worker with the Alliance. So that's rule number one. The second rule that we have uh, is we, as we're international workers and residents. So what that means is one cool thing. Now, I think you all should know that you go to a Christian Missionary Alliance school, correct? So we're part of that denomination, and every year we have four different schools. We have one in California, one in Georgia, one in Minnesota, and then one here, not to mention the seminary as well. So every year what the denomination does is that they bring back an international worker, or every four years, technically for the international worker, but a new, new people for the college every year, and, uh, and they get to live with you folks. They get to go to the school, they get to go to classes. Uh, obviously on the Rockland campus, people are living right there, so we get to live right there with them. And we talk about just the different ministries that are in the Alliance, our work that we did overseas, and we get to kind of explain some of that. So those are the two main roles that we do, which is a lot of fun, very exciting. I think everything else has been said. Oh, one more thing, too. So if you are interested, did I already say the sign-up? Did I mention that? No. So if you are interested, please come and talk to us. My wife has a little pad of paper uh, that we stole from somewhere, and we would uh, love to sign you up and, and talk to you at some point. And if you haven't seen me before, I haven't been coming a lot this year, but as of next semester, and maybe one more time before the end of the year, we will be coming on this campus more to get to know some cool. So uh, please, by all means, and I think I got this thing working. Impact. I want to talk today to you about impact. And although we did just give thanks to Jesus for all of his goodness to us, I do have one little complaint, and I'm sorry that I have to do this. But the complaint that I have is pork chops. I hated pork chop night when I was a kid. It was the absolute worst, and it was primarily because, where do I point this thing here, Jeff? There you go. I had it. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's that? I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, hey, there we go. Primarily it was because of this, shake and bake. Y'all know shake and bake? <laughs> Have you had shake and bake? It's a box of lies. That's what this is right here. All right, so shake and bake growing up, what this meant for me was, and if you haven't had shake and bake, I'm just going to explain it to you real quick. Basically, shake and bake gives the impression of fried food without the fryer, is what they say. <laughs> so they give you a plastic bag inside this nice little cardboard box, and inside the box is breadcrumbs, and inside with the breadcrumbs is spices. And so you take your pork chops, they also have a chicken version, in case you want to try that and torture yourself. But they, 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 they take, you take your pork chops, and you put it inside, you shake it up, and then you bake it. And then when you pull it out, what's left with, at least what I was left with, was very often... On one side of said pork chop was a big piece of fat, and then on the other side was a very sharp bone. And then in the inside, smaller than a 10-year-old boy's palm, was a little pork medallion <laughs> that when started out before cooking, it was already about a quarter inch thick, but when it was done cooking, it had a little bit of shake and bake on the outside, lots of grease, and it was about an eighth inch piece of leathery meat that I had to chew through. And I hated pork chop night. It was the absolute worst. It had a very nasty impact on my life. But the thing is, as I got older, and I went for a number of years without getting any more pork chops, and things changed my life, and I just avoided pork chops. I never understood why people go to a restaurant and buy pork chops. I didn't like pork chops. But then as I met my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, love did something to me. And I remember mom and dad, okay, they liked me. I had to, I had to change a few things in my life. I had to get rid of my earrings. That wasn't a big deal. I didn't mind that. But then I had to go meet grandma and grandpa. All right, Grandpa, Grandpa Arlen and Grandma, Grandma Geraldine, Grandma Jerry. And the thing is, as we're going to Iowa and as we're heading down, I'll never forget it. My girlfriend says to me, who I really want to impress, Grandma, Grandma Jerry, because if I can get Grandma Jerry, then the whole family's going to like me. 
she says, oh, it's great. You know, my, my grandparents are pig farmers, and tonight for dinner, uh -oh. we're going to have pork chops. <laughs> I had to pause for a second think, hold on, now how much do I really love her? <laughs> and so there we were. Now, Grandma Jerry's on my mind because just a few weeks ago, she passed. Uh, she was an amazing woman, fantastic woman. They lived in Iowa. And when they had her funeral, we, we drove from New York all the way to Iowa, 17 and a half hours one way. Left on a Friday, we came back that next Tuesday. And it wasn't just us that drove, but it was people from California, people from Minnesota, people from down south, people from Malaysia, people from Mexico, around the world and around the U.S. came to say goodbye to Grandma Jerry. And she and her husband were one of those people, some of those people, that had a major impact on my life. Now, when you think of impact, just a general simple definition is when something or someone, it leaves an impression on something or someone else. You can have a positive impact, right? That we know, that's kind of what we all hope for. Or you can have a negative impact. And no matter what happens, you're always going to have an impact somewhere. You go outside and you step on a bug, you are going to have a negative impact on that bug's life. That's it, right? But when you think about Grandpa Arlen and Grandma Jerry, and you really stop and pause, here, here these two people were. They got married three weeks out of high school, all right? Married 66 years. They lived in almost the same town their entire life. It was called Jewel. It was, I always forget how it goes. A gem in a friendly setting. A gem in a friendly setting, right in the sign. The sign was almost bigger than the town. <laughs> and, and they had a massive impact on a lot of people, but how? Now, has anybody ever been to a pig farm here? All right. So besides my wife, because you don't count this time, sweetheart. One, right? So pig farming, it's not a glorious job, as you can imagine, right? It smells. You can imagine what you have to shovel all the time. But it's where bacon comes from, in case you didn't know. And uh, so maybe, maybe like, pig farming is not a great example. But typically, when we think of pig farmers, if we think of them at all, we, it's a pretty low-level position in our society, right? We order bacon all the time in our burgers and whatnot, but, but the reality is we don't think really where it comes from. It comes from the middle of nowhere, Iowa, a good chunk of the time. Really, another low-level position that I'd like you to maybe consider would be waiting. Waiting on tables, right? We run into waiters all the time. Male or female, we have them. Sometimes we look at their names, often we don't. Sometimes we barely talk to them. We take them for granted, but they're, they're there for us. But even those waiters, they want to have an impact on this world. No one just wants to float by. Most people don't. At least there, there's something in them that drives them to want to make an impact. But don't you need a certain position? In our society, doesn't it seem that we're told that you need a certain position or you need a title? And not to tear anybody down here, but, I mean, you're all going to school for a reason, right? If you can get the education, then you'll be able to get the title. And if you get the title, then you get the job. And you get the job, then you can provide, and you know the deal. There we go. So I'm going to give you four facts on impact, and then we're going to move into things more serious. First important fact is impact is a guarantee. No matter what in life, you are going to make an impact on people, negative or positive. Okay? And maybe you already have. You've already had that chance to make an impact. It's like death and taxes. It is inevitable. Impact fact number two, it's full of the mundane. And to tolerate the mundane, catch us now, you have to see past yourself and past your immediate desires. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, but if you want to change the world, Start making your bed. It's the little things. I say start flossing. Flossing's really good for you. You floss every day. 
athletes, you know this, right? You can live, if there's any athletes in here, you can live on your skill and you can live on your, your talent, but the reality is if you're not going to practice day in and day out, if you're not running or doing every, everything you have to, it's only going to last for so long. You will not make a big impact in whatever sport you're choosing to play. Musicians, same thing. Brother, I'm guessing you didn't start like last month, you know? At least three months ago when I saw you last. Six months. Six months ago, all right. So, yeah, rare exception. But the reality is, even with music, you have to practice, practice, practice. The mundane impact is full of the mundane. And in order to see what kind of impact you're going to make, you've got to deal with the mundane now, but you've got you to be visionary. You've got to look into it. Impact number three, from there. All right, impact, it may be hidden. You may never know the impact that you're going to have. You may never see the results, right? As a Christian, fruits of the Spirit, for example, love, joy, peace, patience, sometimes you don't even realize when you're being patient. Sometimes you don't even see the fruit of your ministry that you're doing. There's lots of examples of that in my life. Serving overseas, I know that we're not going to see the impact that we had in Mongolia. But I know that we affected families and we affected people with the gospel. But we're never going to see the fruit. That is a fact. Sometimes you don't get to see the impact that's hidden. Finally, impact, although it may be positive, it may have a negative response. Now, for those of you going into ministry, and those definitely bringing Jesus into your workplace, right? The reality is, is that when you step into the domain of darkness, which we all live, and although you've been, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? You are in the kingdom of light. And as you are there, you have enemies at the gate waiting for you. And if you're making any impact, any inroads for the kingdom... Those enemies are there. So obviously today, I just want to talk about positive impact or negative impact. I want to go past that. I want to talk about kingdom impact. What kind of an impact are you going to have for the kingdom? And in our world, so often, we think it's the title. We think it's the position. We think it's the salary. We think it's the power. We think it's the education. Education is important. Don't get me wrong. It is. But we're really talking about kingdom impact today. What kind of an impact are you going to have in the kingdom, and do you want it? What do you need to make the kind of impact? Now, you might not be able to define it right now, but if you think about it, what is your heart's cry? What kind of an impact do you want to make? Are you an evangelist? Do you want to share the gospel? Are you a disciple? Are you a mentor? Do you want to build people up in their faith? What kind of an impact? How do you want to make an impact? So one example that I love is Stephen. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, please flip to that. Otherwise, look up here. I'll try to follow along. I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't really worked with this PowerPoint while I've given this sermon. We'll see how it goes. All right, I'm reading out of the ESV here. Now, in these days, and also, too, like I like to add a little perspective as I'm reading. So if I interrupt the scriptures, forgive me, but just try to follow along. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, although they weren't always Jewish. But what we do know is that they were Greek speakers that were part of the body of Christ. So already in the very first church, there was a definite them and us. There was a separation, a cultural separation that the church really kind of struggled with. And the Hellenists arose because they noticed that their widows were basically being neglected in the daily distribution of food, money, whatever that might have been. Some, they just weren't getting their share. So they started to complain. And the twelve, the apostles here, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it isn't right that we should give up preaching 
the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, right away, I think to myself, well, come on, Adam, why didn't you serve? Why didn't you just pick up a tray, apostles? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Have a little humility? But I think they knew what they were called to. And we'll see that result soon. They knew that God called them to the ministry of the word, and I would even surmise to say that the apostles, they knew the kind of deaths that they were probably going to die. Everybody except for John, right? Like, they kind of knew it was coming. And in verse 5, uh, I think here, let me back up here. Yeah, pick up 7, there we go. But we'll devote ourselves, there we go. In verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So everybody was there, the church was there. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and some other fellows we're not going to get into. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And this is the result. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now what I love about that is that as Stephen was stepping in, and we're going to primarily talk about Stephen today and the impact that he had on the early church, and in fact even on us. If it wasn't for Stephen's, and I would say this, if it wasn't even for Stephen's obedience to just submitting himself to the leadership of the apostles and becoming a waiter, not a very glorious job, and tipping is kind of an American thing. I don't know if he knew that, so he didn't get tips. But the reality is, is that when, they, when the, he did his job, and the other fellows, Philip and the other fellows did their job, the word of God continued to increase because the apostles could do theirs. They knew their calling. There was no shame. It wasn't like it was a lesser job necessarily. But the word of God continued to increase, and because of his humility, and because of the kind of man that he was, it had an impact on everybody. In fact, even some of the, the, the religious leaders of the day came to obedience and faith because of that. Where are we here now? All right. And Stephen, verse 8, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and some others, we're not going to get to them either, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen, but they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here's the enemies, and they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they served the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses. Now, chapter 7, we're not going to go into all of that. I think I'm sure many of you have already read that here. But essentially what happens is Stephen goes up before everybody, before the whole council, right, right in front of the high priest, in response to the high priest. And he gives them a history lesson. Now, if you think about the audacity of this, where here these men that he was talking to, they had the whole Torah, they had the Hebrew Bible memorized, full books, verbatim, without flaw. They, could, they knew it. And Stephen goes through and he refutes this. And he explains everything and he shows that Jesus is the Christ. And if we would go to 8, which I think is my next slide. 8.1 moves on, and Saul approved of his execution. There arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. What I want to talk to you today is the result of this. 
that to make kingdom impact the kind that Stephen did, you need to be full of faith. That's point number one. You've got to be full of faith. Stephen and Philip had the faith to take on that assignment. They had to look past themselves. Now, i got to think that when Stephen and Philip were getting prayed on, they probably knew what was going on, but I think it's more fun to think that they didn't. And here they are thinking, oh, here we're going to go to the Greeks. This is great. So they're on their knees, and they got their hands on them. They're ready to be blessed in a ministry. And sure enough, and they say, and you're going to work at the cafe and serve food to the angry widows. Oh, it's not what I really pictured when I thought, Greece. I kind of wonder, like, what was that like? But they saw past themselves, and they had faith that God was calling them to something. You have to be full of wisdom. Next point. We're going to focus especially on the next two. And wisdom is the application of what you have studied, adding that to your, to your experience. It's a compilation, really, of all of those things. And it's pretty clear that Stephen had wisdom, right? He refuted the entire council, the high priest. Well, we don't really have anybody like that in our denomination, technically. But if you can imagine just going before an entire church, a large church, and refuting all of those in leadership and pointing that Jesus is the Christ, not their methodology, not their laws, not their rules, it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. He was full of wisdom. I think most of all, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're going to have actual kingdom impact, you must be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have to rely upon someone else besides yourself. Because the reality is any fruit that you're going to have in ministry, if you do it in and of yourself, regardless of your skills, regardless of your titles, regardless of your talents, your abilities, or anything else, your degrees, if you rely upon your flesh, any fruit or any seemingly what it looks like fruit in your life, anything like that, it's going to die with you. It will not last. But to have kingdom impact, you must rely on the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to look any farther than Jesus, right? Jesus did not live in his divinity on this earth. I don't know if you've thought about this much. This keeps coming back in our lives. We keep thinking about it. But Jesus didn't do the ministry that he did out of his divinity. He had flesh, just like us. He was human. He could be sitting here. I mean, he is. But he could be sitting here in the flesh just like us. He was like us. He got tired. He ate. But really, it was out of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when, right after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, it was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he actually did anything. Otherwise, John 14, like, how, how could we do anything? He said he prayed that we would do the same things that he did, and even greater things, greater things than Jesus. That's audacious. That doesn't make any sense. If he did it out of his divinity, there's no way that we could do anything like that. But instead, he did it being full of the Holy Spirit. Our youngest, two weeks ago, said, Daddy, can I walk on water like Jesus did? I'm glad she didn't test me. But I was like, of course you can. Sure she can. She said, but I'm not God. I said, no, you're not. But Jesus was human like us. He did it through the Holy Spirit. You can walk on water if Jesus wants you to. But the reality is, in order to do this, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. And for a number of years, that's not how I did ministry. I don't know how I missed that lesson. Somehow I missed that in my life. And if I could just prove myself, if I could perform, if I could achieve, which I did, and it always looks good in man's eyes. But inside, I knew I was forcing things. I knew probably at some point I was manipulating, I was controlling. Not meaning to. I'm not a mean guy. But the reality is, is that when I was out of my own flesh, you're not going to get much more than that. 
So if you're going to have kingdom impact, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. Anything less is just human. Last, and quite possibly one of the most important pieces that gets overlooked, is humility. Now, for those of you who haven't graduated, or who you are not working right now, more than likely, uh, when you graduate, although you are going to have your degree in counseling, or your degree in business, or your degree in Bible and theology, or whatever it might be, pastoral men maybe, you're not going to be elevated to the highest position. Have you realized this? <laughs> have you thought about that? Months after graduating, I was selling shoes, and I had a Bible and theology degree. I was going to change the world, and I'm selling shoes. The worst job ever. Anybody sell shoes in here? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, yeah? All right. That was good for you. It was terrible for me, man. And it takes humility. You're not going to land your dream role. Consider Stephen. And I like to think that his position, as he stepped into that waiter position, he knew it was below his pay grade. He knew what he was capable of. He knew what was before him. I mean, he was chosen out of how many thousands of people, right? Out of seven men, they chose Stephen. He's number one. Yet because of his obedience to leadership and his calling, he impacted the world for the kingdom. Now this might mean, too, that as you step into ministry, you could be bivocational. Have you considered this, too? There might not be a full-time ministry position for you if you're doing that. I was, right away, as soon as I stepped into ministry, I had to be bivocational. It was terrible. I finished that off as I was working with the Alliance and trying to get overseas, and then what did I end up doing overseas? I was bivocational again. It's just part of it. And it's not something that I wanted, but it did create, it did help me to remember to be human in some regards, because I could relate to people out in the working world in a way that I couldn't before. What's interesting is, especially one of the one of the most beautiful parts, if you flip back in Acts six, Acts seven, right when he addresses the council, the high priest, he says, Brothers and fathers, and then he gives a history lesson. Okay, I don't think he was arrogant then. But what I love about it is that his humility shined through because his face looked like an angel. I think that's right at the end of chapter six there. His face looked like an angel. We don't really know what that means, okay? I mean we've got our ideas, maybe there's a little halo in the pictures, like that's what we see. But there was something about his face that looked like an angel. And what is an angel? What is an angel to us? Servant, right? They're there to serve us. It's weird, and that's a really simplistic definition. I don't mean to knock any angels that are in the, in the room, but the reality is, like, that's what they're there for. They're there for us. They're there to serve the Father. They're there to serve us. And here he was doing what he was doing, waiting on tables, obviously performing great signs and wonders, whatever that looked like. I like to think he was somehow like multiplying the bread baskets. Like that's kind of funny. But the reality is, is, like he said, brothers and fathers, and as they looked on him, they saw that he was like an angel. They could, there was something different physically about him. We need to have humility. And isn't this what Jesus taught us, Matthew 18, right? Jesus said really clearly, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility is required for impact, according to Jesus. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom for advancement. And if it wasn't for Stephen's humility, think about that. If he wouldn't have, I mean, yeah, he was, he was arguing with people. They couldn't refute his wisdom or the spirit with which he spoke. But if it wasn't for his humility, they killed him for his humility. He was just a waiter. How dare he? And here Stephen was, 
He changed the entire world for Christ. Now, granted, it could have happened through someone else, but it didn't. It happened through Stephen. We don't know his age. We don't know a lot about him. And I think that's intentional. But that first missionary movement happened because a waiter stood up and said something. It was not fearful. I know what you're all thinking right now. What about that pork chop? What happened? So we show up. We're in the house, and Arlen and Jerry, they have, they've got this big backyard, right? And, uh, and Arlen, he comes through the kitchen sliding door. There's like these glass doors, and right from the grill, and he brings this plate of pork chops. I, like, until then, I didn't even know what a pork chop was. They're like two inches thick. I mean, they're like steaks. Perfectly grilled, a little pink in the middle, as it should. Slathered in barbecue sauce. One of the best things I've ever had. They changed my entire concept of pork chops. Went from a nasty memory that had a nasty impact on my life to a positive realization that when Jesus is in it, even in the pork chops, however that works, it has, it'll change your mind. Yet here they were pig farmers who lived in a tiny town in Iowa, and they impacted the world for Christ. At one point, too, not many people in the family actually knew this, but Grandma Jerry told me, she said, you know, we want smuggled Bibles into China. I'm like, what? We smuggled Bibles into China. We smuggled Bibles into China one time. We went there, and they went and checked out farm and whatnot, and sure enough, they brought Bibles over. More than that, 19 of their children and grandchildren and their spouses are in full-time ministry. Wow. 19. And they've got a lot of kids. But even more than that, not just those that are in full-time ministry, yes, that's important, but all of them are following Jesus and bringing Jesus into the workplace. Every single one. They had a massive impact on their family, on the world, on their community. There's more people that they put through Bible college than the family even knows. Because selling pigs is pretty lucrative. It actually would be pretty good making bacon. So the reality is, is that they had a massive impact that they will never see, that they didn't know. And in fact, I found out when I preached this sermon before, I found out that they, they really didn't ever think that they made an impact at all. They're in Jewel, Iowa. What's in Jewel? Nothing. And here they were. They made a massive impact on our lives and my wife's life. So it's not your place. It's not the position. It's whether or not you're willing to walk in obedience to whatever Jesus Christ has for you. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in humility? Because when Stephen died and he had those things in a row, not everything, didn't have a great job, probably wasn't respected by the community at large, except for his church, it seems that he was. But Stephen changed the entire world through his death. Something shifted, something changed. Yeah, people were scared. I'm willing to acknowledge that. Like, that's true. But the reality is they saw a guy like Stephen. If he got killed, what's going to happen to them? And the gospel went out. question is, or maybe I'm not, somebody's helped me out, thanks. So the question is, how will you impact the world? Are you going to impact God's way? Making kingdom impact, it can cost you everything. I don't know what God has for you. It might cost you life, you might die for it. Could happen. Are you going to have an impact like Stephen and Arlen and Jerry? It's not going to come through your job or through your position or anything that you have or hope for in that regard in terms of material stuff in the world. Or are you going to settle for something that's not going to be remembered? In the kingdom, there's no shake and bake. The fakes are really easy to pack. So the challenge today is, what do you need? 
Stephen had it all. He was intelligent. He was gifted. He was probably eloquent. He was full of the Spirit. Definitely relied on Jesus. So much so that when they're stoning him, the man takes a nap. That's relying on Jesus. Jesus from Spirit is like, I'm just kind of beat anyways. It's been a long few days. And he takes a nap and they kill him. He was not up there alone, but Jesus was with him. So what do you need? Do you need wisdom? Thanksgiving's coming up. Are you going home? Are you going to be with people that you don't know how to handle? Do you need wisdom in those relationships? Do you need faith? Do you not know what your next steps are? Did God call you to do a thing and you're not sure what that is? Do you need, do you need faith there? Do you need direction? Do you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? Be honest. In school, are you relying on your own strength? If you're doing it now, you're going to do it later. That's just kind of how it works. People don't change that much unless you really ask God to step in. Do you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus says that for you today, too. Maybe you need to let go of pride and take on humility. I, I don't know. Maybe there's something there where you really need to let go. You need to humble yourself to whatever God is calling you. I'm not saying let go of the vision that Jesus has placed before your life. Maybe you need to step into something in your church, into a position that maybe a leader asks you to do. Maybe he asks you to clean toilets and you don't want to clean toilets. Now, if you're on year three or four of cleaning toilets, probably something should change, maybe your church, but the reality is we shouldn't be above anything. Do you need to be humble? Do you need to ask help from Jesus for that? That's, that's really what I have for you today. Um, so I just want to give this as an invitation to you now. You know, Stephen do, didn't do this alone. He wasn't, like I said, he wasn't, when he died and he was up there, he was not alone. Jesus was with him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. It's not like Stephen was anything special in and of himself. But as an example, what do you need to become more like a Stephen where Jesus has called you? So I'm just going to close in prayer. And if you, if you need prayer today, please come up. Love to, love to have you come up today and just pray for you. If it's, if it's for wisdom, if it's for faith, if it's for humility, if it's for filling the Holy Spirit, let's pray for you. Let's start today. Start this break off right. you got a couple weeks left in the semester. Let's kill 2020, all right? So if you want, just come on up. I'm just going to pray. Stay after if you need. My wife and I will be around for a while to pray with you. Talk. Jesus, we want to thank you for your kindness today. Father, I 